Hello, everyone, and welcome to the unnamed podcast about our Philharmonic trip. My name is Will. I'm Osni. And I'm Davison. Today's episode is sponsored by the warm showers we had this morning. You may be wondering why warm showers are such an important thing, um, but last night the hot water in our building, in our hostel, um, was shut off, and so we came back from dinner and no one could take a warm shower. So I personally took a cold shower, um, but luckily this morning uh, the hot water was working again. Um, and so if you waited, you got a hot shower. Yes, I definitely got a hot shower this morning. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first thing that we ended up doing today after um, getting a little bit of sleep and um, getting breakfast was um, we went to the Mozart house. Um, so we got to sort of see some of the original um, uh, facilities that Mozart would have been using during his childhood. Um, and it was... Um, a place that he ended up staying for a while. Um, so what did you guys think? Honestly, it felt very commercialized. Yeah. In comparison to the Haydn house, which was smaller and really gave us the ability to experience the m- musical history, mm-hmm. the Mozart one felt very guided and constricted. Mm-hmm. It didn't naturally mm-hmm. kind of flow. It just... And I think it was just a blend of how it was set up and a very high reliance on the audio logs. Oh, yeah. That it was hard to really take it in as the house Mozart lived in and more of just a display of, ooh, look, it's a Mozart museum. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always um, hesitant to say that I didn't like going somewhere, but it was definitely a little disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely agree with what you said about it being too reliant on the audio tapes. Um, I feel like it was more of a tourist destination than it was a learning experience for us because um, whereas we went to the Haydn house and we actually learned a lot through what was written on the walls, uh, we didn't actually need the auto- audio guides. Um, I feel like this one definitely sort of let us down a little bit. I did enjoy the emphasis on Mozart's son. Oh, yeah. As with a lot of these great people, it's interesting to see how their children compare. Mm -hmm. And Mozart's son was still a fantastic musician and composer, but he was considered a disappointment because he wasn't the genius and didn't have the same opportunities that... Mozart himself had. Mm. Yeah. It was definitely an interesting place. I I wouldn't say that um, we shouldn't have gone there, but it was, yeah, it was was an interesting place for For, sure. For me, I guess I didn't really, and I think in general in Europe, I felt this way. I never really had an awareness that I was in Mozart's house. Same Mm. thing, the Haydn house more so, um, but I still didn't really have an awareness that I was in his house. Even, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see in later, you know, in later destinations also, like, if you actually feel like we're in the place we are. Um, And I think that's because of that sort of commercialization. The one thing that I did really enjoy is seeing Mozart's instruments. Um, Mm. In the first one we went in, that was probably when I felt most that I was interacting with this great 
um, person um, was seeing his violin on display. That was a really pretty violin. I don't know if you looked at it, but I really liked violins with dark varnish. Um, my violin has dark varnish and I don't see, um, I think it's kind of unique that way where most have kind of a redder or oranger tone, um, even yellowish, um, but it was really dark and pretty. And then his, um, he had two, there were two or three different um, pianos or harpsichords um, that kind of thing. And I think seeing those spoke a lot to, yeah, Mozart's hands were on that. And now it's two feet of, you know, away from me with a rope in between. So yeah. that was really interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to see how the instruments can connect you even when they're not performed. Right. When you see another person's music, uh, instrument or are just a foot away from their ma original manuscripts. Mm, you true. just see that glimpse of the past that, and while we do an idealized version of the past, it looked amazing. Yeah. I did like how they kind of demystified Mozart a little, mm. especially the physical attributes of him, as when we romanticize someone, we tend to romanticize all of their aspects. Mm. So the great musicians and politicians and writers, we don't just aggrandize their work. We make them look bigger and uh, just better than they originally are. Mm -hmm. Mozart was short. Yeah. He was <laughs> not that attractive. attractive yeah. <laughs> relatively squirrelish and... <laughs> Also, generally, while he did push a lot of boundaries, he was also a relative jerk to some. And mm -hmm. seeing these composers as people and not just great ide um, idols mm. gives a more humanistic interaction with both them and their work. Yeah, sure. that's one of the things that I was going to mention, too, is that you really get a, you, they really humanize these people that you've sort of um, idolized as like a great, you know, like a great composer of the past. And I think um, listening to these, these uh, people's musics, especially Mozart, um, you kind of dissociate this person from being a human almost. Yeah. And um, going to this place and sort of realizing almost how human these people were uh, like you said, he was short, he wasn't that handsome, and uh, he had his problems. It definitely um, made Mozart as a person more relatable, yeah. relatable to some of us. I think that might also be part of how, um, even the way we talk about their music, you know, if we we're to rehearse the Mozart, uh, our maestro says, okay, you know, Mozart next, you know, take out the Mozart. It becomes you know, the person becomes their their art, um, right. which is true of all artists, I think. But but yeah, I, I guess I'm agreeing with your way of saying it's disassociated. Right. What did you guys think about... So the audio guides played Mozart. Um, like each... Um, you know, when you go, you press the number for whichever display you're looking at. What did you think about the music on the audio guides? I don't think any other museum we went to had... Did the Hayden House have music in the audio guides? No. Yeah, so, so that was unique. What did you guys... Or maybe it was, but it was specifically for a piece that we were looking at, where the Mozart 
museum, almost every single one had a musical intro during this talking and at the end. Yeah. Right. I think for what I experienced, at least you guys might not agree, is I think it was sort of more playing into this sort of touristy aspect mm -hmm. of the place. But um, I also got a, set, a different kind of sense from it. I feel like um, I became more interested in what okay. I was looking at. So when you mentioned the violin, um, it ended up playing some music around there with um, some of Mozart's music, and it definitely made it more, not interesting, but more relatable to me because we've you know listened to this music for so long, and I feel like his music sort of playing while we're learning about these objects kind of reflects who Mozart was. There's some of those pieces that... I was less familiar with, mm. which allowed me to have a bit more fun, both experiencing new music while learning something new about the composer. Mm -hmm. So you get that kind of the growth in both areas. Mm. Yeah. I think for me, at some points it annoyed me because I just wanted to hear what, you know, I, I <laughs> did it. I wanted to, a lot of times I skipped the first 10 seconds. Um, so I could just get straight to the ta you know, to the talking because I wanted to look at the display and move on. Um, but when I did really appreciate that was when they played, when there's a manuscript on display, you know, one of Mozart's manuscripts, um, and to and the audio guide played the piece that was displayed. And as a musician, um, someone who can read music, I could follow along. Um, with the ink that Mozart put on that page and hear it translated into music um, on the headset. That's when I really appreciated that it played it. Um, but, you know, not so much at the beat, you know, taking up time when I wanted to read something about the last part of his life, you know. Um, so, nice. Yeah, it blended the both a visual and oral element. Mm -hmm. Right. So why don't we move on to the next thing we did today, which was the Festung and the castle. Yes. Um, so what this was, so the Festung, the Festung was kind of a, if you can think of, if you've been to an amusement park and gone up the roller coaster um, to the top of the first big drop, that's kind of what this felt like. So it's sort of a train. Um, you pay money for a ticket to go up the Festung, which is, you know, this train, you kind of creep up the side of this hill that we talked about in our last episode, um, slowly creep up, um, except there's no drop at the end. You arrive at the top, um, to the, the top of this hill where there's a fortress. Um, so that's what that was. Once we arrived, there's a beautiful view of Vienna. Um, the snow kind of obstructed some of our, you know, probably obstructed the radius that we were able to see. Um, but I think it cast a really nice sort of misty, wintry um, look. Yeah. I guess I'd want to see it in summer too, right. to see how far we could see. What did you guys? Um, what did you guys think? I enjoyed the. The wind, especially when the wind would pick up and it would mm. just blow through it, it created a definitely uh, a nicer atmosphere. <laughs> going, you're going to a fortress, the wind is howling, <laughs> and yeah. you can kind of throw yourself into that more uh, dramatic feeling as you get to explore. Yeah. 
And just looking over Salzburg as a whole was amazing. It was like um, when we were in Vienna, we definitely noticed how, you know, how beautiful the buildings were and the architecture and stuff. But being able to look over the entire city from this fortress was just amazing. Like when, when we got up there, um, it, w- it took us a little while to get up there by that train. But when we finally got up there, it was it was just it was a breathtaking view. It was amazing. We took a bunch of pictures um, just looking over the entirety of Salzburg and sort of realizing and like looking down at the city is just amazing. Mm-hmm. How about the fortress itself? So again, I, if, I don't know if any of our listeners have ever been to a fortress, but it's always kind of a, you know, interesting experience. It's a very, it's, there's court, you know, there's something around every corner, um, we went on a tour inside this fortress um, and learned quite a bit. The audio guides in there were really nice, and I appreciated that it was a quick tour um, also, and we did quite a bit of exploring around there ourselves mm-hmm. also. Yeah, learning about the fortress was really cool because um, like, one of the first rooms that we ended up going into with these audio guides was um, sort of a... Uh, it, it wasn't a stable room, but it was where they kept the... Was it the hay? Is that what they said it was? And salt. I thought salt. Yeah, and salt. There was a room for the salt as well. And um, they um, they had these dioramas set up in here of like sort of the progression of how the fortress was built um, from a long time ago until like um, most recently before it was turned into this sort of, not a memorial site, it was uh, just sort of like a a tourist attraction, I guess. And it, um, it was very interesting to see how it was built up and the reasons for why it was built up. So Mm -hmm. some of the reasons was to fortify the fortress more. Some of the reasons were to add more practical elements and, um, just seeing the progression of different styles of architecture, but also, um, what they consider to be functional. Mm -hmm. It was interesting seeing a progression from a, fortress because this was owned by the clergy but it was a fortress that was uh as security then it became it was a barracks then it was a prison and then it near the end it it became a tourist attraction Mm -hmm. and seeing that going from war and prison to history and the act actually gathering people instead of keeping them out, mm. but it's just a nice blend and kind of a switch. Yeah, a very historical mm-hmm. place. And um, I think we kind of, again, we were at underestimating a lot about Salzburg, but um, <laughs> it was a very um, interesting place that had a very interesting backstory to it. Definitely. Uh, so once we popped out of this tour, we're all a little bit cold and wet. Again, this weekend was a pretty... Um, you know, full of wet snow. Um, but the next events, I guess, sort of compounded that. Oh. Um, when we came out of the tour, we were kind of standing around, and Jörg, our, again, our conductor and guide, threw the first snowball oh. and thus erupted the snowball fight of 2019 on the top of this mountain next to this fortress. It was... Oh it was crazy and awesome. The most fun I have had this year, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it was, the year is young, but... Yes. It was amazing. It was fun seeing the professors and the principals 
all <laughs> it was uh, interacting just start pelting each other because <laughs> the professors in general, while they're really laid back on the trip, you have the sense of uh, like decorum and they're the adults. adults. Yeah, they're yeah. the adults. And then even the principals, they have that act of the maturity. But seeing all of them relax <laughs> at the same time was brilliant. It was, yeah, it was definitely a very therapeutic um, experience <laughs> for everyone. It was, um, it was it, like I, like you said, Will. It was very fun to kind of share this moment with everyone, and um, we had a little bit of time to kill. So why not start yeah. this massive snowball war? Yeah, I think this kind of. Um translates to our group's growth socially in mm. general um i know at the beginning of the trip orchestra for me i would come to orchestra at school um you know unpack and chat with someone talk to my stand partner and section during class pack up go practice you know leave we went mm -hmm. to orchestra we left i didn't really um interact with many of the people you know outside of orchestra or studio class or that kind of thing um but i think none of us can really imagine like i don't think i'll ever be that way at orchestra again because mm -hmm. of this trip we threw snowballs at each other we stayed in cold you know cold shower <laughs> hostel rooms together you know just all these experiences that we've shared um and had and all the things we've learned about each other, you know, yeah. whether we wanted to or not, <laughs> um, you know, just by the the nature of what we did. I think it's been really good for us as a group. And I'm wondering if that's going to change how we play and enjoy playing together as well. Yeah, I feel like we all have sort of formed more of a camaraderie with each other on this trip. It's um, been a lot of fun to sort of get to know everyone. I know coming on this trip... Um, like you said, I sort of did the same thing. I showed up to rehearsal, played, left, practiced on my own, and then repeat. Um, and I think um, now that, I mean, I've learned everyone's names now, and I feel like I only knew half the people at the mm -hmm. beginning of this trip, if if half. And I think um, um, it's definitely like we've been learning a lot. We've been experiencing all of these places we've been going to, but getting able or being able to get to know each other has just been truly amazing. Definitely. Yeah. And it's nice as we interacted with each other almost solely as musicians, mm -hmm. then becoming friends and even making friend groups that are willing to hang out with each other outside of orchestra now <laughs> is one going to make next semester a blast yeah and then has made this trip amazing yeah. yeah i would i would definitely say unforgettable this trip yeah. has been amazing so far hmm. yeah then well after the snowball fight we did go to the Veshpil, which mm. is a building that houses the yearly classical festival and royalty classical musicians and these celebrities in the opera world all come in to experience the music and the opera. And it's one of the largest things in Salzburg. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even like you said, all these people, but also the common folk, um, basically anyone can come to this festival and everyone can come and experience and appreciate this music. And 
Um, although we weren't here during the festival, it was definitely nice to get to see where it's being held and sort of get an idea of what it's like here in Salzburg. Um, you know, just experiencing um, what it's like to be in a place that loves classical music so much. Yeah, so basically what we did um, in these festival in this festival theater, it's it's a big complex that includes many, many performance halls, um, and each one is suited towards a different kind of um, perform, a different, you know, type of performance. Uh, how many halls did we visit? One, two, three. Three? three? Was that only three? Yeah. Yeah. Three. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so we so we were able to tour. We had a guided um, you know, tour with the venue manager mm -hmm. of the um you know of the whole this whole operation um and so he was able to tell us very you know specific things about how the how the halls were formed um what the features of the different halls were what kinds of things are performed there and he also explained a lot to us about the Salzburg festival and the other events that take place there um as well and i thought that was I thought it was really great and for us you know just people pay a ton of money to go there every year and listen to these things and we got a first-hand and backstage, backstage view of many of the halls which was really really cool I know I found a like a bolt on the floor um, and I took that as a souvenir so <laughs> I have been I have a bolt shameful. from the yeah, shameful. shameful how dare you no <laughs> I have a bolt from the the Feshbio, um, which was pretty cool. I found the emphasis on opera in both the Feshbio and just in Austria in general was incredible. Mm -hmm. We look at opera here as this thing that only the uh, very cultured and almost uh, the culture, the rich show up. Pretentious. The mm -hmm. pretentious show up mm -hmm. to visit the opera. Mm -hmm. But here it's just another part of the music. Mm -hmm. And at least myself personally, I want to go and see some of these operas. Mm -hmm. I remember them talking about some of the Mozart, uh, the Marriage of Figaro, or seeing uh, Shostakovich's Lady Macbeth. Mm -hmm. oh. And they're, they're ones that we are definitely interested in and I personally want to just experience them and even if it's not live mm. just hearing the music and the stories yeah would be amazing have you guys ever been to an opera no I have not yeah I just don't there's not I went to I went to two in Armenia um two Armenian operas which is a little bit different than you know than Mozart and things um they were you know they're really good I'd never seen anything like them one was well okay one was not so good I won't name any names but one was amazing and the music was so beautiful um but I just I don't even have you ever heard of the Milwaukee you know there be I, I just don't even know where I would go to see an opera around here mm -hmm. um maybe it's because I'm not looking for those advertisements but it's just not part of our music listening culture it feels like something archaic or um, you know, far away, like, you know, like outside of our interest or grasp, but it's, it's not there. And they're really interesting. And you can, the marvel of the performers voices is like so great. Um, obviously an opera at the Feshpiel would be 
one of the best you could yeah. ever see. Um, so maybe that's going to be a bucket list thing for us. Yeah. Um, I think you could see the just how the difference in importance of opera and classical music. When you look at just how the cities are laid out, you see these huge opera houses and concert halls. But And we found one or two cinemas. So that's what I found interesting is that film is still very important, but you, both with the history and the current layout, they're much opera and, and these classical music venues are much more pronounced mm-hmm. to the public. They're valued. Yeah, and I think that reminds me of something we talked about yesterday, um, talking about the guitars that we listen to at the Mozarteum. Um, there's just different tastes, I think. And mm-hmm. maybe not tastes, but we definitely have different styles culturally. Um, like we talked about um, the food and um, how we don't uh, typically hear sort of classical guitar in America. Um, I feel like we don't usually hear in like opera music. Uh, we don't usually hear about an opera playing, you know, mm-hmm. or like I've never, I, I myself have never heard of a, a Milwaukee opera performance yeah. and I live so close and you, you would think that if it happened they probably advertise it but maybe it's just something we don't advertise here in America we don't notice yeah because we have ballet we have symphony we have musicals mm-hmm. and plays but yeah hmm. one more thing um, on the Feshbiel that I thought was interesting was the second hall we visited um, I do not remember names but this hall was familiar to many of to many of us um, because we've seen it in a very classic movie, The Sound of Music. So, um, if our listeners have seen The Sound of Music, you know the scene um, where just before they perform, um, you know Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer, and the family they're pushing the car outside of their residence, and then all of a sudden the um, the Nazi, the, who are those guys? You know, the, 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 poli- the, the police Gestapo? guys. The Gestapo, thank you. Um, so they come and there's, they say, oh, where are you going? And they were about to escape so that um, Captain Von Trapp wouldn't have to go and serve in the army. Um, and so, you know, they confront them and say, you know, where are you going? And Julie Andrews says, well, we're going to go perform at the Salzburg Festival, which is true. That was kind of their... That was their sort of, that was, they were going to, instead of showing up to the festival, they were going to escape, but that's how they were going to give them, buy themselves time. But then, so they escort them to the Salzburg Festival, to this performance venue that we were able to see. And that was really special for me because I performed in The Sound of Music last year. Um, And this movie has always been a part of my childhood. It was one of those movies that my mom would never say no to you know, if I asked to watch The Sound of Music, my mom would never say no. Um, so to see that hall with the stone arches um, and the little side wings that the family comes in and out of, and then at the very end, the soldier comes out and says, they're gone, because, you know, the Von Trapp family escaped to the um, uh, to the cathedral, you know, <laughs> where, the, where the nuns, you know, um, protected them. Yeah. Anyway, that was really special, and I was kind of in awe that. Yeah, and that I guess. There. 
Yeah, I guess to give a different perspective, I have never seen The Sound of Music. <gasps> yeah, neither have I. So, no! <laughs> but um, just hearing, uh, or not hearing, but seeing this place, um, not really having that context, it was still such an amazing place to behold because it's um, this, it's carved into the mountain and it's so incredible just to see what um, people were able to accomplish so so long ago and um, just I don't know taking in this place was amazing. Well, I think that is all for today. I hope you had and have enjoyed this podcast. And stay tuned for tomorrow. We go into Munich. Yes. As, oh yeah. Well, I'm Will. I'm Osniv. And I'm Davison. And have a good day.